Hey everyone, welcome to Scribe Book School, where you're gonna learn everything you need to know about how to write, publish, and market your book. Today is a very special episode where Tucker is going to have a conversation with Tim Ferriss. Many of you know Tim is the five-time number one New York Times bestselling author of the books The 4-Hour Workweek, The 4-Hour Body, The 4-Hour Chef, Tools of Titans, and Tribe of Mentors. He is also the host of the number one business podcast on iTunes, which is The Tim Ferriss Show. This episode has a ton of wisdom for new and established authors. Definitely grab a piece of paper and a pen. You'll want to take notes. Here we go. The big question I think for you um, is, imagine that you were a first time book writer again, like you get to take everything you know now backwards. What are the top three things that you might do differently or the top three things you would do if you were writing your first book now? Well, I would number one, focus on writing and not marketing, Uh, meaning that you can fake your way and game your way into very temporary success with a book if you have enough bankroll. But if you want a book to have longevity, to create an annuity for you, to have a proper impact, you want to bake the marketing into the book, so to speak. And that's simply creating something that will be loved by a small percentage of people not liked by a high percentage of people. And uh, so I'd like to speak first to the things I do the same because I do think there are a few common elements when you look at the launches for really any of my books. Uh, The first is that I am creating a book that solves a problem for myself. In other words, in the case of the four-hour work week, I went to a bookstore. I saw books for Fortune 500 CEOs or aspiring CEOs. I saw books about people who had foregone any cash, decided that money was the root of all evil and were traveling the world as effectively glorified homeless people. And I felt as though I wanted to be somewhere in the middle. I wanted to not completely abandon capitalism, but rather use it in a more intelligent, directed way to fulfill different objectives. And I couldn't find that book. So I read hundreds of books and kind of groped around in the darkness myself and then wrote for our work week, ultimately like an email to two or three friends after two or three drinks. <laughs> That's the only way I was able to get an initial draft that somewhat worked. I abandoned the first few versions of my test chapters because in the first instance I tried to sound too smart. I was programmed to try to sound all highfalutin going to a place like Princeton and it was just terrible. So I threw that out and then I tried to be too slapstick and then the pendulum swung into the middle and I just wrote it as effectively uh, a, a, an email to friends and more specifically because that isn't clear enough to two friends of mine, one who was trapped in his own company and felt like he couldn't leave this was sort of a machine of his own making. And another who was this guy at Binance, who similarly had created this really high burn rate, had 
the car he always dreamed always dreamed of having gathering dust in his garage and felt trapped right so I, I wrote for those two people and you might say i'm going to just riff for a second you might say well how could you write a book for those two types of people that constitutes no one as a percentage in the u.s and uh, that's that's exactly right <laughs> because the target isn't the market you need a clear target to hit the target but the market then becomes much larger than that because you have people who feel trapped in X and yes, I'm male. So I write from my perspective and I think everybody should write from their perspective. So it appealed to males first and then you had it bleed over into women of similar age groups who felt the same and then it bled out everywhere. Uh, that doesn't always happen. But So number one is, is, is solving a personal problem or scratching a personal itch, writing for two or three of your friends the other is trying to create a category of one. And you could read 1,000 True Fans by Kevin Kelly to learn more about this. That's a short essay. That's a very good read on kk.org. You could also read a chapter in the, I think it's the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing called The Law of Category, which also speaks to this. Uh, and you, you do not want to compete Competition is bloody, it's messy, it's crowded. You want to create, ideally, a new category or a genre-busting approach to how you're writing, whether it's a memoir or nonfiction, that effectively renders competition irrelevant in writing and planning, if that makes sense. Uh, and then last, I would say this isn't related to the writing specifically, Actually, I'll give one more for the writing specifically and then one for kind of launch and then I'll stop and we can take more questions. But that is when I edit, uh, you, you need to, I think you should have a framework for editing. Editing to me doesn't mean just like rereading my stuff until I'm like deaf, dumb and blind and can't see anything. It means providing drafts to friends of mine who I respect as writers and asking them which 10% would you keep if you could only keep 10% and then which 10% would you cut if you had to cut 10% and you start to see patterns and when I look at the results of that if if people hate something I consider cutting it but if if say one person loves 10% and another person says they hate the same 10%, then it stays. Does that make sense? And uh, then I will, I got this from Neil Strauss, who's had 179 New York Times bestsellers or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I think it's eight or nine, but he has, he's, he has a lot. He then edits, and I do this too. First edit is from my own perspective. I edit it for myself. Edit is from the standpoint of my fans and readers, people who are already uh, readers of mine or listeners. So I'll try to make sure that it's as strong as possible for them. And then the last round of edit is for the critics. Uh, and I don't spend a lot of time thinking about critics, but I find this lens useful for editing. And that is going through your draft and trying to identify the things that a, say, writer for a you know, BuzzFeed or New York Magazine might cherry pick to try to tear you apart, right? What are the weaknesses in your edit or your, your draft that someone could use to try to dismantle you? And that then gives you a degree of protection. 
and also just confidence in your own writing that you've tried to take the counterpoint to ensure that your logic, your arguments, your stories hold up to scrutiny. Uh, and then the, the last one, the launch piece, is looking for inexpensive, uncrowded channels. I do that every launch, and it, the answer has been different almost every launch, right? So at one point, it was different types of Facebooks, Facebook and Google ads. That was super early. Then it was podcasts when no one gave a shit about podcasts. And I'm looking for channels that still have a high conversion to sales. Uh, generally, that means that a lot of readers are listening to uh, or watching or reading whatever that channel is comprised of and then looking for bargains so that ideally I can do not just organic growth, but sort of paid marketing that has uh, an asymmetric um, risk reward. So those are, those are a couple of thoughts. I want to show you something real quick before we, we go uh, back to questions. Just super quick. Can you see this? That's a slide I have in yeah. my deck that I teach them about the emails yeah. to friends. Yep. Yeah. Like I, we teach the everything. So just so you guys know, everything Tim just said, just uh, we, we already taught the last three days. So when he talks about um, uh, like making sure that you are like really, really important to a small group of people, that's, that's everything we taught in positioning. And then like finding your voice is about writing to one friend or two friends and being super clear about that. Right. Uh, all of that. All of that stuff is stuff that, that we, he's saying the exact same thing, phrasing it in different ways, some better ways actually, but this is saying the exact same thing. Yeah. What, so yeah. what are, um, so what are some things, uh, it, if you were starting off right now, cause a lot of these people like, um, uh, are, are brand new, right? They're they're This is their first book. Um, beyond what yep. you said, like the stuff you do the same, is there anything like, yep. imagine you have all your knowledge, but all, all your credibility and your status and prestige is taken away and you're just normal dude or normal girl X, right? Uh, can you think of one or two things that you might do as an author right now in addition to what you've already said? Yeah, let, let me think about that. I'm going to buy myself some time just also by saying, and this is my perspective, it's not everyone's perspective, but if you're going to write, fucking write, study the craft don't think that if you publish some piece of dog shit, it's going to suddenly grow wings and become a unicorn. That's not how it works. And I think putting out a mediocre book is more of a liability than no book at all. So take it seriously. Don't insult the craft. Read people who are good. Read people you would like to emulate. And practice writing as them in journal form. So let's say in the morning, you read something, then you're like, okay, I'm going to write a story about last week, but I'm going to try to emulate this person's style. And you have to then decide what constitutes their style, et cetera. That is not contradictory when finding your own voice. It's honing the craft of using words and diction and so on. So just take the writing craft seriously because no one needs more bullshit out in the world. Uh, things, that, things that I might do now. Well, here, I, I got another one. If, if that one's uh, a little difficult, this is one I know you, you'll have no, amazing no, answers. No, no, no. Yeah, here it is. I would, I, would focus on, uh, I would focus on building an email list. It's unsexy, and it's the most important thing from my perspective, the most impactful in terms of percentage of participants that you could possibly be doing. It's, it's very unsexy. Maybe you want to use TikTok instead. 
it's a waste of fucking time from my perspective, unless you happen to be perfectly hardwired for TikTok. I see a lot of people who get out of their lane and they start trying to mimic the latest and greatest shiny object, whatever that happens to be. And it's, it's a complete waste of time from my perspective. And uh, folks might say, well, you know, the young kids don't use email. It's like, yeah, well, that's until they get a job. And then guess what? They do use fucking email and it's not going away anytime soon. So I think building an email list um, and uh, doing that with high quality content, because guess what? If you're building a list based on content, what are they going to want from you? Good content. And then you have the option with the book later. That's great advice. All right. So one great question. Um, uh, someone asked, curious to hear your thoughts on traditional versus self-publishing today, both as a first-time writer and successful writer. We've talked about this extensively and we got a whole bunch of stuff, but I actually want to hear what, what you think about this too. I think, I think Tucker, you're actually more qualified to speak to this because the landscape changes so quickly. Yeah, uh, I will just make one observation and that is, uh, we know that self-publishing can work financially and we've known that for a while if you look at different types of ebooks and pdfs and so on that have been sold and i have friends who make millions of dollars a year and have for like a decade selling ebooks in the form of effectively password protected pdfs and courses and so on so that can work if you're going to do that guess what you better be a good business person so you can't go into it being a C student as a writer and a C student as a business person and expect to make a lot of money. So if you're going to do that, guess what? You're going to need to learn about paid acquisition. You're going to have to learn about funnels. You're going to have to go through business school effectively. And if you're not prepared to do that, you shouldn't do that. Uh, the, the, uh, the economics have changed a lot over the years, and there are many different self-publishing options. So I'll defer to you on that. Tucker, but I will say one thing about traditional, if we're, we're, if we're talking about going through a publisher, and that is if part of your drive in writing a book, and it's okay to have this desire, uh, I, don't think, I don't think this should be the predominant sole reason you're doing it because your book's going to end up shitty, if that's the case, from my perspective. But if you want to hit the best seller lists if you want to hit the new york times wall street journal etc as it stands right now i think it is far easier to do that if you are going through the the process that that provides social proof which is going through a traditional publisher mm -hmm. and having that stamp and also having the distribution because the the distribution channels that are counted towards some of the bestseller lists say the new york times are, are really anachronistic, right? It's, it's very outdated, but if you want to play that game, you're going to, you, it's, I think, beneficial to work with incumbent longstanding publishers who understand how antiquated systems work. And uh, you, I'm not aware of, now, I'd be curious to hear from you, publisher, uh, publisher, well, I mean, you are a publisher too, but I'd be curious to hear uh, from you, Tucker. I'm not aware of any self-published book that has ever hit the New York Times bestseller list. I'm only aware of books that started as self-published, sold a lot of copies, and then were sort of republished in some fashion um, that have hit. But here we go. So I, I, I feel like I'm about to get a disconfirming example. Well, it's not a takedown. I mean, it's not a takedown. No, no, it's, 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 it's information. 
Uh, so we did this, but we did David Goggins' book, and this was it yeah. dominated the list for the only reason it wasn't number one is because yeah. it came out right after Michelle Obama, and no one was hitting number one yeah. for months. But yeah, so yeah, yeah. It, he's not the only one though. Um, there's been about yeah, what four is or five. The, what is the publisher? Picture. What is the publisher on that though? Like, what is the name of the publisher on that? Lioncrest. That's our that's our company. Okay, right. But yeah. so, but but here's but here's what I would say, right? I mean that this is a new hybrid model. I would not consider that self-published. Self self implies a degree of autonomy and individual actor responsibility that is not a reflection of what you did with Goggins, right? This is a new hybrid model, but if people think I'm going to publish a PDF and then self-print it and do this, this, and this and figure out all the distribution, I think that they're underestimating what's involved in doing that. But yeah, so, I am aware okay. of the I, and I and I knew of the Goggins example beforehand. I mean, I it's it, you guys did a great job with that, and the story is amazing. So congratulations, number one. Um, but I, I I don't feel fully qualified to really speak to this. And I should also say, um, you got to look at the percentages too, right? Um, so uh, some things are easier with the traditional publisher than others but i don't i don't have a dog in this fight if you guys want to yeah. do anything on the spectrum yeah, I, I mean what's your take well so uh, basically um you're 100 right it's a, a way easier to hit uh the only list where it really truly matters is a new york times list like like our book uh just went on wall street journal and usa today list um and yeah. like and it's of course self-published i mean same publisher as goggins right uh, the the one thing I would say, you're defining hybrid as like professional and uh, in the business, most people define hybrid as like, um, as, as uh, it, it, self-publishing means the author owns the rights to the book. And so, so with Goggins, yeah. like we don't own the rights, like yeah. he owns it, right? Uh, it. Okay. So the way some people just define it differently, um, but like, no, you're 100% right. If your goal is New York Times bestseller list, then yeah. you pretty, you basically need to go traditional. Right. Yeah. But for most people, they can't get a deal. It's not even in the cards. For yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I totally agree. Now I could make the argument. This is going to sound funny, but just to throw out kind of a, 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 a devil's advocate position. If you think you would stand no chance of ever getting a book deal, that doesn't mean you shouldn't write a book, but it might indicate that your book is not a, great idea in the other in, in in other words i do think even if you are going to self-publish you should put together a book proposal uh because it'll force you to think clearly about what the hell you're trying to do and uh so i would encourage people even if you're going to self-publish put together an executive summary competitive analysis blah 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 all the things you would put into a book proposal and if you show that to 10 friends and they're like this makes no fucking sense at all I would take that as an indicator that you need to sharpen your thinking. Uh, so that's, that's, that's me riffing, but it's, it's like if, if a company, for instance, is raising capital, I do a lot of startup investing and like everyone, including people I think are smart and who have a track record of good investing are like, this makes no fucking sense. I take that as an indicator that probably something needs to be fixed and it's, it's going to be easier to fix before you launch the airplane than when you're mid-flight and you're like, oh shit, we're headed to the wrong state. So, yeah. uh, I 100% agree, agree with you. I actually though think that um, a book proposal is a terrible way 
um, uh, to do it. Like we, we have our own, we have a positioning and outline structure that we have people go through. The, the reason is yeah. because a book proposal is about convincing the mind of an editor on the Upper East Side of New York that your book uh, is relevant. Whereas yeah. there's better ways to, 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 to figure out, to do a thinking exercise. But you're, the, the general point is 100% correct. It's what we spent the last two days teaching people is how yeah. do you know ahead of time that your book yeah. um, will, will meet your objectives that will have an audience and that audience will care about it. Because if you don't know yeah. that, you should not write a book. Unless it's a memoir yeah. and you're deciding I'm doing this more for personal reasons or whatever and everything else is a bonus, which are kind of different things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so two, two things. I, I, I agree and I should clarify that the proposal for me is, in my mind, necessary but not sufficient. And I, and I also think the way that I write proposals, and I don't do a lot of proposals these days, but I read a lot of business proposals. The, the, the way I did proposals was as if I was raising money for the book, not trying to convince just someone on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. So the, the mentality was slightly different. Yeah. Uh, but keep in mind, even for the four-hour body, what was the four-hour body predicated on? In some respect, it was predicated uh, on the first blog post I ever wrote about... Sort Geek of to Freak. Manip Geek to Freak, which was hit the homepage of dig which at the time was a big 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 fucking deal and it was it was this huge lightning rod that still to this day gets a lot of traffic and i, I then i was like that's interesting and i followed up with a few additional posts and i was like okay there's definitely oil here if i keep if i keep drilling there's a lot of oil here i know that and uh, therefore i didn't just have tim ferris speculative pro forma business proposal slash book proposal ideas in my head, I had market proof that there was something there. And you can do that in print. Uh, you can do that via podcasts. You can do it in all sorts of different ways. Excellent. No, makes total sense. Um, all right. So one last question. I, I know you got to get going soon, but this is like right in your wheelhouse. We get, <clears throat> we get a ton of questions from people about uh, research, like how do I do research, whatever. What, what, what would you say are your top, because your books are meticulously researched and amazingly well documented and whatever, well, without going into the crazy, you know, rabbit hole details, what are your top couple tips for research for nonfiction books? Now, is, the, is this just, just so I understand, is it research about the prospects of the book, like market research, or are we talking about actual book research? Book research, research on the topic of the book and writing research uh, yeah. for writing the book itself. Yep. Okay. So one of the easiest things you can do is speak to experts in your circle about topic X. Now, expert just means they know a shit ton more than you do. These people don't need to be Nobel Prize laureates, right? But just somebody who knows more than you do, and ideally at least a few of those. And it's not that hard to make progress. Um, there's a set of questions. I, I can't regurgitate them offhand, but there's a set of there, there's a set of questions in the Four Hour Chef that relate to interviewing experts and questions that I ask. Those are largely the questions that I would then pose to this friend slash expert you know, and ideally you have more of them. But uh, if you were to kind of wrap uh, a lot of the questions into one, it would be, who are the three to five sources you consider very high signal? 
meaning if you could only choose three to five sources on this topic, who are your three to five? And you ask that of other people if possible, and you'll begin to triangulate pretty quickly on a handful of folks who amidst all the noise provide high signal. And I would then also find if possible, and you could ask your friend this, who is who do you consider very, 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 very smart? Who has the uh, the the opposite or close to opposite position or approach from this person. And you could do that in athletics uh, quite a lot, right? So you'll have these minimal, minimum effective dose coaches do the least necessary, not the most possible. And then you'll have people who focus on volume and do all sorts of other things. And you have tremendous athletes coming out of both camps, right? So I, I would want to understand the opposite of whatever my most aligned position might be. Does that make sense? To better understand your own position, you should understand the best counter arguments. And uh, nowhere is that truer than right now, by the way, with COVID and so on. Like if, if you can't describe the best argument against what you believe to be true, then you don't understand your argument. So, so that would be one. Uh, number two, uh, I am a big fan of looking at, and I don't know if these are available right now, but most popular Kindle highlights in books that have uh, passed my filter. And passed my filter generally means at least four stars in on Amazon with more than a few hundred reviews, preferably. That's not always possible with niche topics, but let's just, there, there are ways to weight this, but let's just call it for simplicity, at least a hundred reviews, average of four stars or more. And the way that I will determine if I'm going to read a book in part, I'll look at the, this first step is actually looking at the, uh, the three and four star most helpful reviews. They could be critical or they could be helpful. Uh, or they could be positive, rather. And those tend to be the most informed. The five-star review, the one-star reviews never really tell you anything. The, it's just like, I thought I was ordering crayons and I got this book, <laughs> one star, you know. So, so there's that. And then you have the five-star, which you're like, this guy walks on water, and you're like, not helpful. So the three and four-star most helpful reviews, critical and otherwise, I'll look at. Uh, and then if that passes, I'll go to Kindle highlights. If that still passes, then I'll pick up the book. So that's how I choose books on different topics. Uh, and then in terms of tools, uh, and I, I might be antiquated here, but I use, uh, I use Evernote for everything. I have for many, many books. Now, you have to understand that I was the first advisor to Evernote a thousand years ago, and the company hasn't died yet. So I've continue to use this product. I, I use their web clipper. There are, there are other tools out there. Pocket, for instance, would be an example that allow you to pull things off of a web browser so that you can read them and, and also edit them later. And the way I do that, if I download, if I use the Evernote web clipper to download stuff, into my notebooks. I'll put them into, say, the investing notebook or the COVID notebook or whatever. And with the pieces that I find most interesting, especially if they're going to be long, I'll go in, I will read that document in Evernote, and then I'll put three asterisks at the beginning of anything I find really interesting, and I'll bold it. 
And so imagine I read a 10 page piece. I don't want to read that a second time if I don't have to. And, but there are like five sentences that I've starred with three asterisks. Then what I can do when I go back to that document two weeks later, I'm like, ah, shit, I don't remember what was interesting here. I do control F three asterisks and boom, I've got, I've got everything I need. And it gives you a ton of fucking time. So that's another one. I, I use Scrivener for drafting. Uh, I find Scrivener extremely useful. I've used it for at least three or four books now. And uh, I do a split pane view. I won't bore you with it, but effectively people talk about writing screenplays with note cards and then you can move them around. You can shuffle them. You can spread them apart. You can put a new one in. This allows you to do that with independent documents. So I, I wrote my first book on Word and I wanted to shoot myself in the face. It's terrible. So with Word, you'll have like a million windows open. If you don't have multiple screens, you're constantly toggling back and forth. With Scrivener, you can have all of your basically table of contents on the left side. You can have research. There's like an entire research bucket. So I could take those documents from Evernote I was talking about, the three asterisks, drop those into research. And then on the right side, I can split the pane. So I have, for instance, what I'm working on in writing, and then my research sitting right below it. It saves you, when I'm writing books, I mean, this saves me hundreds of hours and and just impossible to measure levels of frustration. Uh, and, it's, and it's light. It's a lightweight application. So I, I really love Scrivener uh, and plan to use it for, I, I see no reason I would change my use of Scrivener. I plan to use it for every book. And it helps you to take that research and translate it into drafts because it's not just doing the research. It's, okay, great. You read 100 books. You've got 5,000 notes the fuck do you do with that right and like ryan holiday has his approach which is like old man old the oldest young guy i know on the planet so he has this like thousand index cards and he and he he will index those in all sorts of ways and that's one approach and it works for ryan right this approach works for me um and uh the ability to have what you're working on directly above your research that is showing that you can scroll through and control F in that pane is a massive, massive advantage over other systems that I've tried. Awesome. Thank you, dude. That was amazing. Actually. I even, I, I thought I knew your system already, but there were a few things like I'd never heard you talk about the asterisk thing before, which is so obviously brilliant. I don't know why I don't use that. I swear. I thought I'm, I heard you like I thought I knew your yeah. whole system, but I didn't know that. Yeah. That was amazing. It's that's that's new. Yeah, it's in the last like two or three years. And I'm just like, good God, why the hell didn't I think of this earlier? You yeah. know, it's like been rereading these documents over and over and over again. Yeah, you just bold, uh, bold and use the three asterisks and then you can you can cut right to the chase. It makes it makes a big difference. I'm happy to do another question or two if you like, or if if, if this is kind of that. No, we're session. dude, we're we're way over for you, man. Like uh, I I deeply appreciate you coming. Uh like yeah. uh, we, we got more than enough from you. I will tell you though one thing. We gotta get together when corona's over or whatever, we gotta get together and have a let me fill you in on publishing because there's quite a few details and things yeah. that, oh, yeah. that don't really impact you very much where you are. Yeah. Like it, like they, yeah. they don't matter much to you, but like, uh, if you want, I'll do a podcast about it, dude, we can go deep dive into publishing and writing and I can like really be like, okay, here's state of the art. Here's this, this, this right now. Yeah. I don't know how interesting that would be to many people, but like, it might be super interesting for you. So, 
Well, at least over a bottle of wine, we could we could do that. Bottle or two of wine. Yeah, the, I'm, the publishing I'm world. I, I I will I will be the first person to admit that I'm not the right person to ask about the changing landscape because the types of deals that are being done now, even with traditional publishers, look nothing. Uh, many of them look nothing like deals that were available two or three years ago. And that's in part because they recognize they're going to increasingly going to have to compete with people like you and uh, they have to innovate or they're going to get smoked, right? Because this whole house of cards kind of cravat Harvard club publishing world is not going to remain intact. And uh, therefore, you know, I'm just waiting for Amazon to be like, yeah, all right, we've had enough of all those bestseller lists. Now we own everything. Here we yeah. go. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But uh, yeah, good to be on, man. Good to see your face. And um, everybody who's listening, you're in good hands when it comes to talking about different publishing models with Tucker. That is not my area of expertise. If you want to talk about how I process thousands of pages of research and that, how I think about podcasts and that kind of stuff, then, then I'm your man. But uh, let me say one parting thing, and that comes since I mentioned podcasts. When you're thinking about all the things that you could possibly do to build an audience and promote and so on, pick a medium and a tool that you really love, that you like, because if you don't, you will not be able to compete against the people who love that. Like I am not natively a YouTube or TikTok person. I just can't, I don't like it. So I'm going to get killed if I, if my goal is to compete against Joe Rogan, which I don't view him as competition, but compete against him in video, he's going to kill me. He's going to totally kill me. But say email newsletter, five bullet Friday and all that kind of stuff. I love doing that. So I will be, I have the endurance and the enthusiasm and the energy to, to outmaneuver and outwork and outproduce good content there, right? So pick, pick where you're good. Really focus on your strengths. Don't just copy whoever was successful last month because it's, 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 it's not a reliable method. You wouldn't do that with, invest, with investing. I hope not. You, know, you wouldn't do that with athletic training. Uh, so so take, a, take a customized approach when you're, when you're picking these things. Cool. Thank you, brother. Totally agree. That's Amen. amazing advice. Yeah. See you, man. All right, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. If you found this valuable, it would mean a lot to us if you shared it with somebody who is trying to write a book. And beyond that, you can support the podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay tuned because we have a lot of good stuff coming on Scribe Book School. <laughs>